But this is really an apologetic, okay? They're really sharpening our church and our people when it comes to uh, developing a robust theological, historically theologically strong and robust understanding of this matter. Because it affects us today currently in such a strong and significant way, y'all, um, we're going to break up in groups. Give me a one, two, three, and one, two. All right, one, two, three, one, two. Those are the groups y'all be in, okay? That'd be group one, that'd be group two, group three. Eventually, just be on my cue. You're welcome. But there is such a strong, um, strong resistance to Christianity because of identity pro- uh, politics and cultural um, norms and resistance because of our history. The concept of truth-telling is essential when it comes to these matters. You are in group three. When it comes to these matters, when it comes to these matters, it's important for us to understand that it's not your fault and it's not about what you've done as a white person. It's not about any of that. It's more so about when someone says, I don't, when you are saying, I'm a part of a multi-ethnic church and we have uh, different uh, ethnicities here, but we're in Memphis, so we know it's 68, 63% um, African American, and you know, I just want to invite you to my church, or you may not know the Lord, and I want to tell you about Jesus, and then boom, somebody hit you where I don't want to know about your Jesus, because it's a white man. I don't want to be a part of it. I don't want to be a part of that religion, because it's associated with one racial group. Y'all hear me say this a lot in my sermons, and how Christianity is not for one ethnicity, racial group, class, etc., etc. Okay, close your eyes. When I say Jesus Christ, what do you see? Eyes closed. All eyes closed. When I see, say Jesus Christ, what do you see? We need ten seconds. One, one thousand, two, one thousand, three, one thousand, four, one thousand. 5, 1, 000, 6, 1, 000, 7, 1, 000, 8, 1, 000, 9, 1, 000, 10, 1, 000. When I say, eyes uh, closed, Paul, eyes closed, Paul, <laughs> what comes to mind? When I say the gospel writer Mark, what image do you see? When I say Christianity, what image do you see? All right, open your eyes. Did you see this? Some of, some of that? Raise your hand if you see that. Right? A lot, a lot of us, because that's that's the norm. There's a lot of pictures of, of Jesus, and this is a picture of St. Mark. Um, you know, I could, we can find several of those pictures that were created and developed. And some, so, so many of our, uh, as a, if, if you went to, if you go to the seminary or whatnot, you will see books with some of the same images, right? Uh, <clears throat> why is that bad? Yes. 
Yes, yes, absolutely. Can you go to the um, video for me? I want y'all to, uh, wait one second. I want y'all to, this is uh, a guy named, he's named Brother Polite. Now he's not a Hebrew Israelite because he defends against Hebrew Israelism. Um, but I want you to listen to what he says um, and uh, about, about uh, the religion. Go ahead. written in the Greek that many people think the New Testament is originally written in. 
we see that Christians called on Allah first before Muslims called on Allah. His name is in there several times. The Christians worshiped Allah before Muslims were even spoken of. And in fact, there's no documentation. All right. Um, so this is what I want us to do. <clears throat> because for y'all that just joined, when you hear him speak, he sounds like he knows exactly what he's talking about, okay? And these are, this is not uh, information that's in literary format. So if you haven't gone to uh, a, seriously, a Bible teaching church that's helped you to understand how to read your Bible, interpret your Bible, what's it written in, et cetera, et cetera, you can be easily swoon by this, especially when you are an African American. And so then the resistance towards my white brothers and sisters is, is this, you've held me in down, you held me in bondage, and you haven't told me the full truth. So now the way in which one is guided towards truth is dealing with what? One's cultural and racial identity. Y'all see what I'm saying? Y'all tracking with me? Okay, so this is what we're gonna do. We're, we are going to break up into those groups, those one, two, three, the one, twos, the ones on this side, the twos right here, the threes right here. <clears throat> here are, I want you to answer the first question together. I want you to say, I want you to ask, I want you to talk dialogue a little bit in a group, y'all are gonna come to a consensus, how you respond to Brother Polite. Okay, that's the first one. Break up. <clears throat>
me say this. Um, how many of y'all were frustrated listening to him? How many of you frustrated listening to him? Uh, why were you frustrated? So here's one of the things that the next one that we're going to. So as, you, as I asked you how you respond to Brother Kalai, just give me, if you would say your best response to, to Brother Kalai on this end, what would you say? What would you, how would you have engaged him? Western, 
westernized standard. So of course, Brother Polite is connecting that to systemic and structural racism and oppression that's happened in this community. That's the issue. How can I believe in something that was utilized? Remember we preached in Colossians a couple weeks ago? How can I pre you preach in, how can I believe in something that was utilized to oppress a people? So it's just like, okay, I understand that. That that is that is a real flaw and a real understanding, etc. But he's connecting that to uh, culture and race. And you have to think about this. Those that are minorities oftentimes do not detach Christianity from their race or culture, cultural group. Religion is connected to cultural identity. Religion is connected to cultural identity. Y'all agree with that? Y'all agree with that? So here's what I want y'all to, I want y'all to discuss this for the next couple minutes. Is is I just didn't You know, I want you to discuss how. I want you to discuss. I want you to discuss. Let's go to the to the how um, and what ways. Let me. Uh, I don't want to give too much away. Just just discuss it for a minute, and then I'll I'll. I'll uh,
Um, did y'all y'all have y'all have some good discussion? Y'all have some good discussion. So so I'm gonna kind of come back to what y'all y'all understood. With the picture that that I have up here is a picture is a it's a um, archaeological uh, artifact from Africa that's a mark icon that's hanging that's at the hanging church. Um, so if you know Mark was an apostle in Ethiopia, uh, the gospel writer Mark also, uh, if you go to the, to the next slide, I'll just tell you who he is. Mark's birth took place in the most remote of three continents, Africa, and more so Mark's birth occurred in one of the most, uh, uh, of one of the most ways in place, what, in Libya, Africa and Libya, you see his family, um, they flee, and they're forced to flee, and he goes, but he learns history, law, social teachings, and religion, um, all of which is captured in Ale Alexandria. How many of y'all know about the Alexandria Library? One of the most fascinating libraries um, in the entire world, and Mark was a part of uh, establishing it. He became an apostle, a well-known apostle, an evangelist, um, and he traveled uh, three, three known continents more than Paul. Mark also um, traveled over the eastern Mediterranean world. Uh, he returned home to Africa continent, introduced emerging forms of Christian cate catechesis um, to the greatest city, uh, Alexandria, uh, the, uh, the intellectual and academic center of the Greek world. Uh, go to the next slide for me. So some of, some of this, I'm just kind of going through this because uh, I got a couple other questions. But Queen of Sheba, you find in First First Kings uh, 10, 1 through 13, she's a black queen. How, have y'all heard of uh, the kingdom of Aksum? Y'all heard of the kingdom of Aksum, which was basically Ethiopia. It was the largest kingdom uh, in Africa, such as the Persian Empire or the Roman Empire. And when, remember, when Queen of Sheba, who did she go see? Right? When Queen of Sheba, I, the, the, I'm going to just tell you, the way I look at the text, Queen of Sheba had bags, okay? She, she had bags. She walked up on Solomon like, I heard you knew some wisdom. And she had chariots, gold, silver, all of the, all of the workings and say, I got all of this, tell me what you know. Right? And Solomon came, Solomon was like, he, he answered all of her questions. That's what the text said. And then he said, she gave him more stuff. And Solomon turned around and was like, no, nah, I got more than that. Bang. And she went away amazed and went back. It's not to say Queen of Sheba was a Christian or anything. It's just to show the African presence and also to trigger in your mind how you can start making geographical and chronological references to the Bible in connections to where they are. Because the Cushite woman um, uh, was Moses' wife. Uh, remember, uh, Aaron uh, was mad in Numbers 1 that they, they married the Kishite woman, but it was, the Kishite woman was a black woman. Uh, the Ethiopian eunuch, you see, when Philip engaged him in Acts 8, uh, he came to know the Lord, and, uh, and the Ethiopian eunuch actually uh, had belonged to uh, what they would call Candace, which was a synonymous to uh, Pharaoh, uh, to that queen. It's not, it's not known to what her name was, but he went back, and we know and there's reference that Ethiopian eunuch may have been an evangelist. So the false narratives 
about Syrian Coptic Christians. Uh, I wanted to deal with that just for a little bit because that goes into the, cult, the culture and race identity connected to uh, religious identity. One of the things I want to study more is Eastern religions. Have y'all ever seen uh, Ethiopian Christians or their liturgy, their forms of worship? Anybody ever seen the Ethiopian forms of worship, Coptic forms of worship? Anybody? Right? You, you, you will almost think you are uh, in somewhat of a semi-missionary Baptist church. Um, but, but with that's a there's a, a deep connection to the singing. If you know the Hebrew language, uh, is one of the languages that it reminds me of how it's rhythmic, it's poetic, and uh, it's intentional for memorization and oral traditions. Um, when you hear them express their liturgies, their worship, their forms of worship, it's a ton of singing that's rhythmic, uh, just like it reminds me of the Hebrew language that's that's purposeful for. Uh, memorization, because that's what they're doing. They're memorizing and quoting ancient um, texts. The Ethiopian church is the oldest church, it, the, the, the closest church to the ancient church, because it had not been colonialized. So its forms of worship and expression are true to the, to, uh, cl true to the ancient, clo the closest that's true to the ancient church. Did y'all know that? Uh, so why, why is that important? Because oftentimes as Western Christians, we can think that our forms of worship are the biblical forms of worship. I, I'm taught, I was taught in seminary, there's a regulative principle, meaning that some people get, still get upset that, I just had a conversation with a worship director, still get upset at the fact that there are drums in the church. Or, uh, there's a saxophone in the church. That's not a godly instrument. Right? These are things that are cultural norms that are connected and we identify, which then become the way in which we create our view of Christendom. So, some of what was talking about our Native American brothers and sisters. Um, and this gets into identity politics. Etc. Go to the next slide for me. Uh, because what if a Native American, one of my good friends is Vincent Bantu, who is uh, a PhD in patristics dealing with Coptic languages. And so he has helped me tremendously and is, helped, is currently helping the church tremendously when it comes to his research and understanding of these matters. And so a lot of my artifacts even come from him and, uh, and, his, and things that he's been able to dig up. But one of the things that I, um, that I learned from him was he was talking to some Native American Christians, and uh, y'all will see one slide talks about cultural alien, alien, alienization. Um, what happens is if a there are some that still are Christians but have like sweatshops or have some of the same uh, religious connectivity to what they what they what their culture is. And they bring that in the Christian. So it's just like, oh, you can't have a tadpole. Because that, that's paganism. Right? That's what, that's what we would say. Y'all heard that before, right? Y'all heard that before. You've seen an artifact where it has all of these symbols, et cetera, et cetera. You, you can't have that. That's not Christian. But that goes directly against some of the things that we make Christian. Easter, the Christmas wreath, the Christmas tree. So I want you to think about that. How many things that 
uh, we can learn from Eastern theologies that are forms and expressions of worship. Like that's why I talk about that are forms and expressions of worship. Let me finish that thought. That actually we have forsaken or said that they are not biblically sound. That's one of the things. I, uh, I when I became a Christian and I was in the church, I did a little praise dance. Okay, y'all probably wouldn't believe it, whatever. I did kinesis. It helped me when we jump when I played football, so I could jump to the highest uh, point. I mean, I had one of my best inceptions because of it, all of that. But you know, I could tap dance, all of that stuff. So like, when I got to the church, Sister Lady was like, "Oh, you're gonna be a praise dancer." So I'm walking around there, you know, going on. But I want you to think about how dancing is a part of worship and how that aspect has been mitigated in some of our churches because we have said, oh, there's no biblical room for that. That's where we get to connecting our culture, cultural identity, to our religious identity. And then you can see why there are so many people who feel as if Christianity has been put into a box. So like when we talk about gospel, we make gospel and associate gospel with a truth that's not necessarily a biblical truth. Y'all track with me. So um, here, let me let me continue on. Here we, you will see um, uh, the queen. This was uh, you can't have a clear picture, but this was Saint Augustine's queen, Kimonite. Um, I, I, uh, I, I forgot her name. Sorry. This is. Uh, Felicia and Perpetua, who were Ethiopian women that uh, that actually were um, very strong when it came to evangelism. There was one picture that my brother Vince showed me. He was saying how Islam was actually coming into Nubia uh, and coming into uh, Ethiopia, and they resisted those areas. But so. With, with, so a lot of people may say, oh, there's Islamic traits in Africanism. And the fact is, you really have to ask the question is, has, was Islam affected by Christian Africans? That's what you got to ask yourself the question. Even when you look at the architect in Africa and things that have developed, you have to ask yourself the question, oh, were those strong Christians fighting for their belief against Islamic um, uh, attacks actually influencing their culture. Here over there you see the Ethiopian eunuch, Philip, and down here is Queen of Sheba. You can go to the next slide. Um, so many people, how many of y'all know about uh, the um? I need some help. What, what have you heard about? I know it's using Coptic Christianity and it's connected to Right. And sometimes, I know for me, I was like, oh, this is ungodly because I would see brothers with the dashikis, you know, and they had, they, had, they, had, they had this around their chest, and it was just kind of this expression of, you know, I'm connecting to my roots. I was like, oh, I, I was taught like, oh, this is not, um, this is not a God, but this was a cross that was an expression in the monastery of Apollo. The monastery of Apollo, y'all remember Apollo. Um, and so this actually means life, but it's a, it's a sign or a symbol that's connected to their culture. 
and their ethnicity was an expression of their faith. There's nothing wrong with that. You see what I'm saying? And so sometimes we deem things um, in a negative sense because we don't know what it is. We don't know what it is. And so then a lot of times if you're talking to Brother Polite, you can really say, Brother, you don't know what you actually understand and believe because you only connected to one identity. And when you only connect to one identity, you leave out the breadth of what was what is out there. And so like that is a good apologetic sometimes because you want to affirm the fact that like, yes, there have been wrongs, but you also want to affirm the fact that the, that doesn't mean that the Bible and what is uh, what is of the Bible is not true. Go to the next slide. So you can turn the lights up. So um, the running tight on time, one of the things that I wanted to make uh, clear is the fact that a lot of times when we have this conversation, everybody has not had the opportunity to connect this to these African facts, um, the concrete understanding of what's biblical and what's extra biblical. A lot of times we haven't had those dialogues, but what is expressed, thank you so much, <laughs> a lot of times, you know what happens? Um, people who become believers, they go into cultural alienization. They're alienized because of their association with Christianity. Right? Uh, if you ever had somebody say, hey, I, I don't believe because it's a white man's religion, but then like they are, they say I, I believe in Pan-Africanism or Egyptology or, uh, or Hebrew Israelite or Milwaukeeanism, all of these different things of comedic science and stuff like that. There's a, fundamentally, there's an identity crisis. Fundamentally, there's an identity crisis because what they are saying is I can't leave who I am and what I am to go back into something that I believe heavily in bondage. Right? And so like, you, we have to, I, I want us to be sympathetic to individuals that we engage into that ideology because sometimes we can come off as if, yes, we do know truth, but we can come off with an attack not understanding the pain and the hurt that's there. Okay? So that what that means is, is, is that in every situation, you don't have to go blow for blow. Okay? Because you want to understand, it's not just African Americans, it's Native Americans as well. Native Americans, uh, they forsake their people because if they, if they start walking with the Lord, if they become evangelicals. And so think about it. Your mother, your father, your tribe, your people group, Say, we don't want anything to do with you because you're believing, because what they believe that you're believing in is oppression. I want you to wrap your mind around that. That's not light. That's not something that we should take for granted. And so many believe that we're, subject, we're subjugating ourselves to a religion that's terrorized our people. And so we have to be sensitive to those, um, to those also uh, who have been taught, taught like a certain language. I'm going to go back just a little bit. I want you to think about this. In the Coptic language, uh, in Ethiopian language, they don't have a word for uh, 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 
the hypostatic union. They don't have a word in their language. When we say theologically, we believe God is fully human and fully man. They believe the same thing, but they're not going to use two distinct natures. And so when we theologically read it all of, like from what I've read in all of my texts that come from European writers, et cetera, et cetera, if you don't use that language, then what? You're at risk for being heretical. And so I want you to think about how dominance can affect one's belief system. Uh, well, I was saying this, man. Well, I, you know what? I'm never going to talk bad about y'all again. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but I want y'all to think about that because in their language what we would consider theologically correct or stupid they, they're, they're communicating something else that is very sensitive I remember being with a pastor one time and he said to me, he said Michael, you know, statistically uh, classical music is the most intellectually um, sound and biblically sound. Right? I respect the brother. But I want, it, it, was, it, it is a situation where a lot of us continue to perpetuate that when, when we hear, uh, when we always say, well, why is there, why is there uh, repetition? in some of the songs that we sing. Remember, we, we begin to ask those questions. We begin to engage us. And, and so it's, it's just like, wait a minute. We have to understand that everything doesn't have to be 15 stanzas of, of, of words that, that are in a hymn, a hymn that says that this is biblical. Are y'all talking with me? All right, so let me ask y'all some questions. Um, how then, let me go back to my question. I think I have one qu question for sure. Um, you don't have to write it down, but I want you to—I want you to just a dialogue. Let's dialogue for just the next. Are we done? We done. We're done. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, okay, we're, we're, we're just about done. We're just about done.